And as we're eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. A wonderful good evening and welcome again to our worship services tonight. We're very grateful for your presence, whether you're here or watching online. Thank you. And we always like to have visitors with us, and we want you to know that we count you as an honored guest and invite you back at every opportunity that you may have. We were going to be looking tonight at Matthew 26, 26 through 29, in relationship to what Paul writes there in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 29, as that will be our primary text. And as we think about New Testament worship, we have uh, been looking at this for a few, we will be looking at this for a, new, uh, a few Sunday nights. And tonight I want us to think about one of the five acts of worship that is outlined in our New Testament. And we're going to be looking at the other four acts in the next few weeks, Lord willing. But tonight we want to think about the Lord's Supper. As we know, and, and we know that the Lord's Supper is, is really important because the early church had partook of the Lord's Supper. And they did so every first day of the week, according to Acts 20 and verse 7. Now, we're blessed with the opportunity to remember the death of Christ every first day of the week. Because I think when you look at the scriptures and you see what the Bible says and what the Bible teaches, you'll see that the Bible, it's really cut and dried. There's no doubt about it. And so the first thing that we notice is that the Lord's Supper requires us is to look backward at the Savior. To look backward at the Savior. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, one of the things that we're doing is reminding ourselves retrospectively of the death of Jesus. And so with that in mind, let me tell you about the institution of the Lord's Supper. You see, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he was the one who instituted this memorial feast. Now, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, and Paul writing to the saints at Corinth, and really he's correcting their abuse of the Lord's Supper. Now, many of the saints in the first century had comprised the church of Corinth and had a misunderstanding of the very reverence and the significance of this memorial feast. So let's, let's read this, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 23, where Paul, writing by inspiration, said, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup which he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. So do ye, as oft as ye drink it, in remembrance of me. And so we understand that, the, that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And he did so in an effort so that you and I, those of us who belong to the, the body of Christ, 
would be able to bring to our forefront on a regular basis the very significance of his death on that cross, the cross of Calvary. Now, when you look back at Matthew 26, the passage that we read just a moment ago of that physical location where we partake of that Lord's Supper is insignificant. It doesn't matter where they were partaking of it. The place, however, where we partake of the Lord's Supper is significant along those lines because we partake of the Lord's Supper in the Father's kingdom. You see where I'm going with that? We're doing it in the Father's kingdom according to verse 29. And we're blessed as members of the kingdom of God that we belong to the very body of Christ. And as members of the blood-bought church of our Lord, we partake of this weekly feast, reminding ourselves of the very death of Jesus the Christ on that cross. Now, as we think about the institution of the Lord's Supper, we need to understand the very importance of the Lord's Supper. Now again, why do we partake of the Lord's Supper? Very important question. Well, Jesus emphasized of why we partake of this weekly memorial feast. Two times, Paul says in his context, speaking from what Jesus had instituted on the night in which he was betrayed, he said, this do in remembrance of me. Now, there are two specific things that we remember that we are asked to remember every first day of the week. Look again back at verse 24, where Jesus had taken the bread and the Bible says, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. We think about the physical body that was given on, in our stead on Golgotha, on Calvary's cross. Now the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 2 and verse 24 that Jesus, his own self, bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness. We go back to Isaiah 53 and verse 5. And Isaiah had said, but he was wounded for our transgression, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. You see, Jesus vicariously suffered and died on Calvary. That is, he became a substitute for our sins. Now, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. And so when we partake of that, that bread, we're reminding ourselves of that body that was literally nailed to that cross. Jesus went to the cross. He suffered for our sins. He died for you and for me. Now, when Paul writes to the church at Corinth over in 1 Corinthians 15, one through four, he points out that he that the gospel is summed up in the fact that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again according on that third day according to the scriptures. And so first of all, we remind ourselves of the body of Christ. But then look at verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 11. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. 
This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Now, when you go back and you look at Matthew 26 in verse 28, it says, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So question, why did Jesus go to the cross? Because we needed a redeemer. In going to the cross, what did Jesus do? Well, the Bible tells us that he shed his blood so that we might enjoy forgiveness. How? Do you remember what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 9 in verse 22? That without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. You see, without the blood of Christ, we have no hope. We would be lost, right? We sing the song from time to time, what can wash away my sins? Well, it's nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? There are numerous passages of scripture that we find that emphasizes the fact that Christ Jesus shed his blood for our sins. He took our place. It was vicariously. In John 19, verse 34, the Bible tells us that Jesus shed his blood in his death. Even if you look at Matthew 26, when Jesus said, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. So he's saying that this blood is essential to what? To the forgiveness or the remission of our sins. Pretty simple enough, isn't it? Now, over in Acts chapter 2, when Peter preached that first gospel sermon on Pentecost Day, do you remember those people who were present at that time? The Bible tells us in verse 37 that they were pricked or cut to the heart, if you will. And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? You know, basically in essence, they're saying, how can we rectify this? We have crucified the Messiah. We have crucified the very Son of God, the Christ, the Son of God. Well, Peter then said unto them, you need to repent. Repent and be baptized, everyone, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And so here's the point. Jesus shed his blood for what? For the remission of our sins. How do we appropriate that blood of Christ? Well, we have to repent and we have to be baptized. Our immersion in water is preceded by our confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But when we are immersed in a watery grave of baptism, what do you think happens? Well, that's when we come in contact with the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, somebody might ask the question, well, why did I bring that up? Well, because there are a lot of people in our religious world that want to just wave that off as if it was not there, Acts 2.38. Understand this. The same phrase that is used in Acts 2.38 is found right there in Matthew 26.28. Jesus shed his blood, the blood of the new covenant, for, in order to obtain, the remission of sins. Now, was the blood of Christ essential to our forgiveness? Absolutely. What then is the conclusion? That if we are going to appropriate the blood of Christ and enjoy the forgiveness of sin, what do we have to do? Well, what Peter said to those Jews on Pentecost Day, repent and be baptized every one of you so that you might have the remission of sin, so you might be forgiven. I would encourage you to go back and look at those phrases. Look at what Jesus said. Look at what Peter said. 
You know, Peter is speaking by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Peter simply is saying that in order to appropriate the, the benefits and the blessings of salvation, you've got to be baptized into Christ. And so individuals who wave off baptism, in a sense, would wave off the essentiality of the blood of Christ because the two passages are of equal importance. The blood of Christ. Look at, look at all the passages in the New Testament that point to the significance of the blood of Christ. Now, Paul said that when we partake of the cup, we are reminding ourselves of that blood that Jesus shed on Calvary. Paul said in Ephesians 1 and verse 7, in whom, that is Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. You see, God, in the richness of his grace, kindness and mercy, sent his very only begotten son to die on that cross and shed his blood for our sins. Simple enough. Now, can we fully fathom what the Lord has done on our behalf? I don't know if we can. But I know one thing, that God loved us enough to send his son so that, he might, so that we might enjoy the forgiveness of sin. It required his son going to that cross and shedding his blood. And so every first day of the week, we bring to mind the body given in our stead, and the blood that was shed so that we might enjoy the very forgiveness, the remission of sins. Because without the blood of Christ, we would be lost. We would be, as Paul had said, having no hope and without God in the world, Ephesians 2.12. Now in Revelation 1 and verse 5, John tells us, Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. The blood of Christ. Very important. The blood of Christ was also very important. No, the body of Christ was very important. The blood of Christ is also very important. Now, there's a second thing we notice as we look at our lesson text. We've talked about looking backward at the Savior, but the Lord's Supper also requires us to look inwardly at self. That is, we are to evaluate our lives in light of the sacrifice of Jesus. So having said that, listen now to what Paul said in verse 28. He says, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. We're, we're talking about the demands imposed on us as we partake of the Lord's Supper. Do you remember one of the things that we had discussed and studying the many facets of worship? And that is the fact that, that the mind has to be engaged in that worship. It has to be by the right attitude, you see. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit. That is the right attitude. And in truth, that is by the truth of God's word. We're, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're examining ourselves. Or we should be, Right? We are to look at our lives in light of the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. And we think about those blessings and the privileges that, that we have as being a part of his divine body. I'm reminded of Isaiah in Isaiah 6 in verse 1. When Isaiah saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. 
and his train filled the temple. You go to verse 3 of that text, and one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah, upon seeing that Lord high and lifted up, said in verse 5, that Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, as will be done tonight for those who were unable this morning, we need to very reverently and very carefully take our minds back to that cross and, and, and just really deliberate on what Jesus did on our behalf. Very, very, very important, right? Now, somebody might ask the question, well, how, how do we do that? Well, I understand that one of the problems, that one of the challenges that confronts us is when we come to worship is that we're trying to expunge the world from our minds for that particular hour. And it's hard sometimes. So much is going on. I was talking about so many problems that we have in our world that we have to deal with day by day, that when we finally get to come down and sit for just an hour at least for our worship, that we just kind of have to expunge that right out of our minds. Uh, And so... We need to expunge that world from our minds, but we need to lock in, if you will, on the various acts of worship. And that's a challenge. We, we live in a day and time that is in entertainment oriented. And many of us can sit idly from the television set and we can be uh, entertained. But when it comes to worship, worship is not about entertainment. I'm sorry that if you came here thinking we were going to have a band and we were going to get up here and dance around like a bunch of fools, I guess you might think, uh, it's not going to happen here. We don't do that because there is no authority for that. I have not found that in the Bible at all, that that's the way we are to worship God. We come to give and not necessarily to get. Now, we we can get some things out of worship, but when we come together... God is the audience. We are the assembly. And so when we come together on the first day of the week, we're trying to purge our minds of the worldly thoughts. We try to lock in on those various aspects of worship. And so when we partake of the Lord's Supper, first of all, we partake of that bread, reminding ourselves of the body of Christ. And there are a number of passages that would help us to remember the body that was given by our Lord in our stead. And I'd like to read John chapter 19 uh, about the death of Jesus himself. John 19, sometimes uh, uh, during the Lord's Supper, just open it up to John 19 and read that text. It will help bring your mind to the very death of Jesus on that cross. You can read 1 Peter 2 and verse 21 and following. There are a lot of passages. You can read 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul recounts the institution of the Lord's Supper by the Lord Jesus Christ. Read Matthew 26, as we read just even tonight. The same thing goes true for the blood of Christ. Key in on those verses that accentuate the body and the blood of Christ 
if you will. It might be that there is a song that helps to reflect upon the body and the blood of Jesus and his death. We're going to sing a song here in just a few minutes. I believe it's 229. That's going to help direct your minds towards the Lord's Supper to, to really understand and know more about the, the body and the blood of Jesus in his death. It might be that you just want to close your eyes for that moment and just lock in on that event and picture it in your mind's eye. Bring it to memory. And then maybe some of the verses that we studied just a moment ago as well. But the point is that we are to engage in that act of worship. We have to go back to the cross. We have to be attuned to what's going on. And we have to engage the mind. Now, there is a danger. You see, one of the inherent dangers is that we partake of the Lord's Supper in a very flippant or irreverent manner. Or maybe we just go through the motions, not really thinking about the death of Jesus. Uh, Sometimes we can be guilty of just going through the motions. And that's why I said that it's very important for us when we come together to worship to try to just tune those things out of the world and tune in to what you're doing here in the worship. There are so many things that vie for our attention, even in the worship assembly. I, I understand those uh, parents who have small children. Uh, I understand that's a challenge. I've been there, done that, all right? Uh, it, sometimes small children can be a challenge for other worshipers as well, if they're crying or misbehaving. Sometimes it's just a challenge altogether. And so what, what we have to do is bring a spirit of reverence to this feast divine. Now listen, if you will, to what Paul said in verse 27. He says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. And then look at verse 29. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Look at what he says. The problem is that the people are not discerning the sacrifice of Jesus. And when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are writing, if we're writing notes or we're texting somebody in worship, or maybe we're surfing the internet since we got our phones, whatever it might be. And if you're doing that during the Lord's Supper, you're not discerning the Lord's sacrifice. You're not discerning the Lord's body. And what Paul is saying here is that you're on perilous grounds. You better be careful. That's the one time that we should turn that thing off and just leave it alone, put it to the side or leave it in the car, whatever it might. If it's a distraction, get rid of it. I don't mean throw it away. I just mean get it out of your hands. So it's not a temptation to turn it to that and to understand and see what the world is saying at that particular time. We got to be attuned in to what we're doing at that particular time. We need to understand that this is a very important part, a very important aspect of our worship. We're talking about the death of Jesus for our sin. For nearly 2,000 years, all saints have been partaking of the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. And the challenge has always been present to engage the mind. And that's one of the challenges that we face today as members of the body of Christ. And so I, I think it's, that's why it's so imperative for us in a sense out of our, to, to, in a sense out of our own world when it comes to partake of the Lord's Supper. 
It may be that you need to just put your head down and lock in on this particular act of worship. Whatever it takes to do so in, in a spirit of reverence toward God. Now the psalmist said these words. He said, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are, are all about him. Psalm 89, 7. And I think sometimes for some, worship loses that spirit of reverence and awe. Sometimes we may forget that we are in the presence of Almighty God. He's watching you. And when we are partaking of the Lord's Supper, we're bringing to mind the very death of Jesus on that cross. It almost should be to a point that brings a tear to the eye to think about it. There's been many times I got up here and I preached a sermon that talked about the death of Jesus. And I really got into deep about what doctors have said that literally happened to Christ while on that cross. The scourging before he went to that cross. What happened by nailing him to that cross. And then what he had to do and endure while on the cross. And he did that for you. He did that for me. And we're going to sit there flippantly and irreverently just do whatever we want to do during the Lord's Supper? That's not discerning the Lord's body. Now, this is not a social ga gathering. And I understand that one of the byproducts of being a member of the body of Christ is fellowship. But why, why do we belong to the body of Christ? Why are we Christians? Why are we members of the church? Because we believe that Christ died for our sins and without him, we would be lost. We would be lost. The early church had continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. But when we come together on the first day of the week, our sole purpose is to worship God Almighty. That's it. These are, there are the benefits and the blessings associated with that fellowship, but it's not just a social gathering. We are here for a purpose. In Acts 20 and verse 7, when the disciples were in the city of Troas, they did what? They worshiped God. And one of the things that they did in their worship to God is they partook of the Lord's Supper. That's just one of the five acts that we can read about in our New Testament. So introspectively, we evaluate our lives in light of that great sacrifice. And as I mentioned a moment ago, Isaiah, I think, is a great example of someone who saw the king high and lifted up. And without Almighty God and what the Lord has done for us, how miserable we would be. There's a third thing I call to your attention, and that's the Lord's Supper requires us to look forward to the coming of our Savior. Yes, there will be a day that he will come back. I don't know when that time's going to be. You know, somebody might have asked that question, of when is Jesus coming to come? I don't know. I don't know anybody on planet Earth that does know. The Bible tells us, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only, Matthew 24, 36. That's what Jesus said. And so Jesus is simply just saying, we cannot discern when he will come. Now the Bible tells us that when he does come, he's going to come as a thief in the night. In other words, he's going to come unexpectedly. He's not going to say, okay, now I'm about to come down there. You all better be ready. No. He's going to come without your knowledge, without you knowing it, and when you least expect it. It could be in the next minute. It could be in the next half hour. It could be in the next hour. 
It could be before you rise up from your bed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed of a tomorrow. But whenever that is, we need to be ready. And as I talked about this morning, your name to be something, your name needs to be in the Lamb's book of life, written down there, ready to go. So in light of the fact that Jesus will come as a thief in the night, 2 Peter 3.10, notice with me verse 26. I, I guess every time that I take the Lord's Supper, I, I think of verse 26, all because it has a special meaning to me, and hopefully it has a special meaning to you. Listen to what Paul said there. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. First of all, I want you to think of the powerful decoration of the Lord's Supper. For nearly 2,000 years, members of the body of Christ have been partaking of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week. Have you ever thought about what a solemn statement that makes to the world? That when we partake of it every first day of the week as we're prescribed to do? Look at the world around us. There are a lot of uh, people in our world today. They look at Christianity and they, they look at it as just... Uh, one among many religions that are out there. They, they look at, they, they, I believe that Christianity is really the only religion sanctioned by Almighty God. I believe that Christianity is the only religion wherein we have any kind of hope at all. The only hope. Luke said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name on, under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Christianity is the only hope that we have, Right? in a lost and dying world. And so when we partake of that Lord's Supper, uh, what we are saying to people in the world, we're saying to them that we believe with all of our heart and with all of our soul and mind that Jesus died for us. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 3, verse 18, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Jesus went to the cross for my sin. And so every time I partake of the Lord's Supper, when I partake of that bread, I'm saying to the world, I believe Jesus gave his body for my sins. When I partake of that cup, the fruit of the vine, I'm saying to the world, and I believe in the blood of Jesus, and I believe that without the blood of Jesus Christ, washing away my sins, I would not have any hope. That's what I'm saying. What a great proclamation we make every first day of the week. There are a lot of people in our world today that misunderstand the very significance of the Lord's Supper. And, and, and yet you and I are saying to the lost and dying world, look, we believe that Jesus died, was buried, rose again on that third day, ascended to heaven, and will one day come again. We believe it with all of our heart. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1 verse 12, he said, For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I hope and pray that each one of us will develop what, for lack of a better way to say it, what I would call a rock solid conversion or conviction. I, I hope that all of us will have a conviction within our hearts that says, I believe that Jesus 
died for my sins, and I'm going to do my dead-level best to live a Christian life in accordance to His will, to walk and live as He is in the light, to have the assurance of the blood of Christ constantly at work in my life. Now, what about the prescribed duration of the Lord's Supper? Well, somebody might ask the question, well, how long are we to continue? Uh, to partake of the Lord's Supper. Well, listen again to what Paul said. Look at verse 26. He said, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. In other words, you do it until Jesus comes back. That, I, pretty simple enough, right? We as God's people will be partaking of the Lord's Supper upon every first day of the week, and there's 52 weeks in the year, and every week has a first day. We will partake of that unleavened bread every first day of the week. We will partake of that fruit of the vine, that cup, every first day of the week. And if you go back and you look at the early church in Acts 2.42, the Bible tells us, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And the breaking of bread, I believe, is a reference to the Lord's Supper. And all Luke was saying is that the early church, in a very steadfast, in a very regular way, partook of the Lord's Supper. And we have answered the question, uh, how often did they partake of the Lord's Supper? By way of example, we know that the saints partook of it every first day of the week, Acts 20, verse 7. You see, the Lord wants us to think of the Lord's Supper. It's a memorial feast. I know there are many people out there in the world that would not think twice about going to the grave to remember their loved one that's buried there. They might even do it every week. There are some that have done it every day for a period of time. As a memorial, as a remembrance, and yet we're going to flippantly, irreverently just put the Lord's Supper off as this maybe twice a year. Uh, many just do it uh, Easter and Christmas or just uh, once a quarter every three months or maybe once a month all because they, they're afraid that we're going to lose the, the, the effect of the memorial. No. We only would lose the effect if our minds are not tuned in to that aspect of worship. We are to bring to memory the memorial of the death of Jesus every first day of the week. And so as Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. Memorials have a purpose and they remind us of things and the Lord's Supper is a divine memorial. It reminds us of the death of Jesus Christ. And so I want to close tonight by asking this question. Are you a New Testament Christian? You might ask, well, why are you asking that question? Are you a New Testament Christian? Why aren't you just saying, are you a Christian? Because there's a difference between the, what the world says Christianity is about and what the Bible says Christianity I want to be considered a New Testament Christian because I followed what the New Testament tells me that I need to do to become one. And here's what you need to do. You need to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. John 8, 24 says you'll die in your sins if you don't. Believe that He is the Son of God, right? We, we need to have that faith and trust in, in Jesus and in God. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. 
If we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, we're going to be willing to make a change in our lives. We, we might have been worshiping incorrectly. We need to start worshiping correctly. We need to make the necessary changes. If we've been cussing and carrying on, telling dirty jokes and, and whatever have you, if we've been drinking alcohol and doing drugs and smoking cigarettes or whatever else that might be out there that, that is destroying this body, then we need to make the necessary change called repentance. Luke 13, 3, I tell you nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Whatever that sin might be in your life, it's, it might be gambling and so forth. You need to change from doing that and start doing things right according to what the New Testament tells. And then you need to make that good confession that Jesus is the Christ before these many witnesses. You see, very important that we confess before men in Romans 10, 9 and 10. He says, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And you can do that even tonight. And then go down into the waters of baptism, the watery grave of baptism. That is your dying to sin, buried in that watery grave to rise to walk in newness of life. Romans 6, 3 and 4. And you can do that tonight. We hope that you'll make things right, that you'll obey the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and that memorial of what he done for us is very important. If you're here already a child of God and you wandered away, it's, it's easy to lose our faith, to lose our, our first love, to maybe worship incorrectly by our attitude and it may be not according to God's word. And we need to repent of that as a child of God, and pray that God will forgive you. Will you let us pray for you and with you? We hope that we can. Won't you come as together we stand?